Ready to feed other hosts presents Number 13, by M.J. R. James. Among the towns of Jutland, Villemarburg, justly holds a high place. It is the seat of Balsbarrick. It is handsome, but almost entirely new cathedral. A charming garden. A lake of great beauty and many stalks. Near it held, accounted one of the prettiest things in Denmark, and hard by its hearts, finger up, pointer up, where musket stig murdered King Eric, living at St. Celia's Day in the year 1286. Fifty-six blows of square-headed iron maces were traced on Eric's skull. When his tomb was opened in the seventeenth century, but I am not writing a guide book. There are many good hotels in Vilburg. Pilsers and Phoenix are all that can be desired. But my cousin, whose experience I have to tell you now, went to the Golden Lion for the first time when he visited Vilburg. He has not been there since. The following pages perhaps explain the reasons for his abstinence. The Golden Lion is one of the few houses in the town that were not destroyed. The Great Fire of 1726, which practically demolished the cathedral in Stone and Creek, and the Radonice, so much else that was old and interesting. It's a great rick brick house that the front of it of brick the corby steps of gables and a checks over the door but the courtyard into which the honourable thrives of a black and white cage work in wood and plaster the sun was declining in the heavens when my cousin walked up to the door a light spot fall upon the impressing facade of the house <clears throat> he was delighted with the old-fashioned aspect of the place, and promised himself a thoroughly satisfactory and amusing stay in an isle inn, so typically of old Jutland. It is not the business of the only sense of the world that had brought Mr. Anson to Vilberg. He was engaged upon some researches in the church history of Denmark, and had come to his knowledge in that in the Ritzwick Savarek of Wimberg were papers saved from fire relating to the last days of Roman Catholicism 
in the country. We propose, therefore, to spend a considerable time, perhaps as much as a fortnight or three weeks, examining and copying these. He hoped that the Golden Lion would be able to give him a room of significant size to serve alike a bedroom and a study. He wishes were examined, explained to the landlord, and after a certain amount of thought, a latter suggested perhaps it might be the best time for the gentleman to look at one or two large rooms and pick one for himself. It seemed a good idea. The top floor was soon rejected, as if falling too much getting upstairs after a day's work. The second floor contained no room as exactly dimensions required, but the first floor, there was a choice of two or three rooms, which would, so far as size went, suit admirably. The landlord was strongly in favour of room 17, but Mr. Anderson pointed out that in the windows commanded only the blank wall of the next house. It would be very dark in the afternoon. Even twelve, number 12, number 14 would be better, for both of them looked on the street, and the bright evening light and pretty view would much, would more than compensate him the additional amount of noise. Eventually number 12 was selected. Like his neighbour, he had three windows, all on one side of the room. It was fairly high, and usually long. There was, of course, no fireplace. But the stove was handsome and rather old, a cast-iron erection on the side of which was a representation of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and the inscription, I bog moose cap, 22 above, nothing else was in the room, was remarkable. The only interesting picture was an old coloured print of the town, date about 1812 Supper time was approaching, but when Anderson, refreshed by the ordinary ablutions, descended the staircase, there was still a few minutes before the bell rang. He devoted them to examining the list of his fellow lodgers. As usual in Denmark, their names were displayed on a large blackboard, divided in columns and lines, number of the rooms being painted. In the beginning of each line, the list was not exciting. There was an advocate of Stolfoger a German, and more, and some bagmen from Copenhagen, and one only point which suggested any food or fault was the absence of any number 13 for the tail of rooms. Even this was a thing when Anderson had really noticed half a dozen times the experience of Danish hotels. He could not help wondering whether the objection to a particular number, common as it was, so widespread and not so strong, make it difficult to let a room so ticketed. He was able to ask the landlord if he and his colleagues in the profession had actually met with other many clients who refused to be accommodated in the 13th room. He had nothing to tell him if I am giving the story as I heard it from him about what passed the supper that evening and the evening which was spent in unpacking and arranging his clothes, books and papers was not more eventful. Towards 11 o'clock he was able to go to bed, but with him, as with many good other people nowadays, an almost necessary peculiarity to bed, if he must, if he, if he meant to sleep, was reading a few pages of print. He now remembered that particular book which he had been reading in the train, which alone would satisfy him, 
at the present moment, was in the pocket of his great coat, then hanging on the peg outside the dining room. To run down and secure it was the work of the moment. As the passages were by no means dark, it was not difficult for him to find his way back to his own door. So at least he thought, but when he arrived there and turned the handle, the door entirely refused to open. He caught the sound of a hasty movement towards it, um, towards it from within. He had tried the wrong door, of course. Was his own room? To the right or to the left, he glanced at the number. It was 13. His room would be on the left, and so it was. And not before he had been in a room for some minutes, he read his wanted three or four pages of his book, blown out his light, and turned over to go to sleep. It did not occur to him whereabouts the blackboard at the hotel. There had been no thir- number 13. There was undoubtedly a room numbered 13 in the hotel. He felt rather sorry. He had not chosen it for his own. Perhaps he might have gone done the landlord a little service by occupying it and giving him a chance of saying that a well-born English gentleman had lived in it for three weeks and liked it very much. But probably it was used as a servant's room or something of the kind. After all, it's most likely not a large, so large or good room as his own. He looked drowsily round about the room which was fairly perceptible in the first half-light from the street lamp. It was a curious effect. He thought rooms usually looked larger as the dim light than the full one, but it seemed to have contracted in length and grown proportionally higher. Well, well, sleep was most more important than some vague ruminations, and went to sleep, he went, and to sleep he went. On that day after his arrival, Anderson attacked the rigs of, of Oldberg. He was one might respect in Denmark, kindly received, and the sex as to all he wished to see was made as easy for him as possible. The documents laid before him were far more numerous and interesting than all appreciated and anticipated. Besides official papers, were a large bundle of correspondence relating to Bishop Jorgen's Phyllis, a last Roman Catholic who held the CKC. In those were cropped up many amusing and what are called intimate details of private life and individual character. There is much talk of a house owned by the bishop but not inhabited by him. In a town, his tenants were apparently somewhat of a scandal and a stumbling block to the reforming party. He was disgraced, they wrote, to the city. He practiced secret and wicked arts and sold his soul to the enemy. It was a piece of the gross corruption and superstition of the Babylonish church that such as viper and blood-sucking Tullodaman would be patronized and harbored by the bishop. Bishop! Met, they approached his boldly. He protested his own abhorrence of all such things as secret arts, and his antagonists to bring the matter before the proper court. Of course, the spiritual court, the shift to the bottom, it to the bottom. No one could be more ready and willing than himself to condemn Madge, never Nicholas Frank, 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 
if the evidence showed him have been guilty of any of the crimes informally alleged against him. Anderson was not had not time to do more than glance at the next letter to President Leader Romulus Nielsen before the record office was closed for the day. The gravities of General Turner, which is not to affect the Christian men, were now no longer bound by the regions of bishops of Rome, that the bishops' courts would not and would not be a fit accompaniment to tribunal, the judge to grave a weightier cause. On leaving the office, Mr. Anderson was accompanied by an old gentleman who presided over it and brought the conversation very naturally turned the papers of which I have just been speaking. Herr Scandalilius, the archivist of Wilmberg, who well informed as a general run of documents under his charge was not a specialist those of the reformation period. He was much interested in what Anderson had to tell him about them. He looked forward with great pleasure he said to seeing the publication in which Mr. Anderson spoke of embodying their contents, this house of the Bishop Frills. Yes, he added, it is a great puzzle to me where it can have stood. I have studied carefully the topography of Old Wimberg, but he is not most unlikely lucky of the old terry of Bishop's property, which was made in 1560, of which we have greater part in the ark. Archive, just the piece of which the list of property is missing. Never mind, perhaps I shall have some some day succeeded to find him. After taking some exercise, I forgot exactly how and where, Anderson went back to the Golden Lion, his supper, his game of patience, and his bed. On the way to his room, it occurred to him. He had forgotten to talk to the landlord, be mission of number 13 for the hotel. Norsey might as well make sure number 13 did really this. You've made any reference to the matter. The decision was not a difficult one to arrive at. There was a door with its number, as plain as could be. A work of some kind was effectively going on inside it. As he neared the door, he could hear footsteps and voices. Or a voice of him. During the few seconds in which he had halted to make sure of the number, the footsteps ceased, seemingly very near the door. He was a little startled at hearing a quick hissing, breathing of a person in strong excitement. He went on to his own room, and again he was surprised, finding much smaller he seemed now that it had been when he had been when he selected it, the slight disappointment, but only slight. He found it not really large enough. He could have very easily shift to another. In the meantime, he wanted something. As far as I remember, it was a pocket handkerchief out of the portmanteau, which was placed by the porter on a very inadequate tetzel of a stool against the wall at the furthest end of the room from his bed. Here was a very curious thing. The portmanteau was not to be seen. He had been moved by officious servants. Doubtless the contents had been put in the wardrobe. Not more, but none were there. 
This was vexatious. The idea of theft he dismissed at once. Such things rarely happened in Denmark, but some piece of stupidity has certainly been performed, which is not uncommon and stupid, but must be severely spoken to. Whatever it was he wanted, it was not so necessary to his comfort. He could not wait till the morning for it. He therefore settled out to ring, not ring the bell and disturb the servants. He went to the window, the right-hand window it was, and looked out on the quiet street. It was a tall building opposite, with large spaces of dead wall, no passers-by, a dark night, and very little to be seen of any kind. <coughs> a light was behind him, and could see his own shadow clearly, cast on the wall opposite. Also the shadow of a bearded man in the room eleven on the left, who passed to and fro in his shirt sleeves once or twice, and the first brushing his hair. Later on in the nightgown, also the shadow of the occupant of number thirteen on the left. Right, this might be more interesting. Number thirteen it was, like himself, leaning on its elbows, or the window still looking out into the street. He seemed to be a tall, thin man. Or is by chance a woman? At least it was someone who covered his eyes, her head for some kind of drapery. Before coming to bed, he thought he must be possessed of a red lamp shade. A lamp must be flickering very much. There was a thing playing up and down of a dull red light on the opposite wall. He craned out as little to see. He could make any more the figure but beyond the fold of some light. Perhaps white, material on the window still. He could see nothing. Now came a distant step in the street. He approached, seemed to recall number 13 to sense his disposed position. We're very swift and very swiftly, and suddenly he swept aside from the window. His red light went on. Anson, who had been smoking a cigarette, laid the end on its windows on the window sill and went to bed. Next morning he was woke by the stillamping with hot water, etc. He roused himself, and after thinking out the correct English words, said, as simply as he could, You must not move any important to Where is it? It is not uncommon. The maid laughed, and went away without making any distinct answer. Anderson, rather irritated, sat up in the bed, intending to call her back, remained sitting up, staring straight in front of him. There was his portmanteau on his tessel, exactly where he had seen the porter put it when he first arrived. This is a rude shock for a man who put himself in his accuracy of observation. How could it possibly he had escaped him in the night before he did not pretend to understand it? At any rate, there it was now. The daylight showed more than the portamentu. It let the true proportions of the room, with its three windows appear, and satisfied his tenant that his choice, after all, had been not a bad one. When he almost dressed, he walked into the middle of one of the three windows to look out at the weather. Another shock awaited him. Strange young observant, he must have been last night. He could have sworn ten times over, been smoking at the right-hand window, last thing before he went to bed. There was his cigarette, and uh, still, 
Oh, the middle window. He started to go down to breakfast, rather late. But number 13 was later. There was his boots, still outside the door. A gentleman's boots. So when number 13 was... Uh, so then, number 13 was a man, not a woman. Just then, he caught sight of a number of the door. He was 14. He thought he should have passed, must have passed number 15 without noticing. Three stupid mistakes in 12 hours were too much for a methodical, accurate-minded man. So he turned back to make sure. The next number to 14 was number 12, his own room. There was no number 13 at all. After some minutes devoted to a careful consideration of everything he had to eat and drink during the last 24 hours, Anderson decided to give the question up. If his sight or his brain were giving away, he had plenty of opportunities of asserting that fact. If not, he's eventually been treated to a very important, interesting experience. In either case, the developed events would certainly be worth watching. During the day, he continued examination of the epicopical correspondence, which I already summarized. To his disappointment, it was incomplete. Only one letter could be found, which referred to the affair of Mag Nicholas Frank Frankenken. It was the bishop's jogan filius to Ramius Nielsen. It he said, although we are not in the least degree inclined to send to your judgment concerning your court, shall be prepared, if need be, to withstand you to uttermost in the in that behalf, yet to forsake such as our trusty and well-beloved mag, N- Nicholas Frankenchenk, against whom you have dared to allege certain false and malicious charges, have been suddenly removed from amongst us. It is apparently that the question for this time falls, for as much as you further allege that the apostle, the evangelist St. John, his heavily apocalypse describes the heavenly Roman church under the guise and symbol of scarlet woman to be known as to you, etc. Search as you might, Anderson couldn't find no sequel to this letter, nor any clue to the cause or manner of removal of the Collius Bellier. He had only supposed that Frank Chicken Chicken had died suddenly, as there were only two days before the date of Nielsen's, Nielsen's last letter, when Frank, Frank Chicken was eventually still being that of the bishop's letter. The death must have been completely unexpected. In the afternoon he could pay a short visit to Hayd, and took his tea at Beckenland. Nor could he notice Though he was in somewhat nervous frame of mind, there was any inclination of such a failure of ear or brain as experience of the morning that had led him to fear. At supper he found himself next to the landlord. What, he asked him, after some indifferent conversation, is the reason why most of these hotels, while visits in this country, the number 13 is left out of the list of rooms. I see you have none here. The landlord seemed amused. 
Do you think you should have noticed a thing like that, I thought? But it once or twice myself. So I told me the truth. An education man, I said. There is no business with these superstitious notions. I have brought up myself, even the high school, but our old master was always a man to set face against anything of that kind. He'd been dead now for many years, a fine upstanding man he was, and ready with his hands as well as his head. Oh, except us boys, one snowy day. Here he plunged into reminiscence. Then you don't think of any particular objection to having a... You don't think there is a particular objection to having a number 13, said Anderson. Ah, to be sure. Well, you understand. I brought up the business by my poor old father. He kept a hotel in Adrahas first. And then, we, when we were born, he moved to Vallaburg here, which was a native, native place and had the phoenix here until he died. That was in 1876, when I started a business in Stilkenburg. Only a year before, last I moved into this house. Then following more detail to the state of the house, the business, when first taken over. And when, and when you came here, was there a number 13? No, I was going to tell you about that. You see, in a place like this, the commercial cars are travellers. Oh, what we have to provide for in general, I put them in number 13. Why? As soon as they sleep in the street of sooner. As far as I'm concerned myself, I couldn't make a penny difference to me that the number of my house room was. So I often said to them, but the stick to it brings them bad luck. Qualities are stories. They are among them of men who have slept in number 13. And never been the same again, or lost the best customers. One thing and another, said the landlord, after searching for more graphic phrase. Then what do you, what do you use your number 13 for, said Anson, conspicuous, as he said the words of a curious anxiety, quite disproportionate to the importance of the question. Any, my number 13, why wouldn't, didn't I tell you there is no, no such thing in the house? I thought you might have noticed that. If there was, it would, might, would be the next door to your own room. Yes, well, yes, only I happen to think, that is, I fancied last night, I have been a number numbered 13 in that passage, and really I am more certain I might have been right, for I saw the night before as well. Of course, Hire Kinsman laughed his notions of scorn, as Anderson expected and emphasized with much iteration the fact that no number 13 existed or, exist, or had existed for him in that hotel. Anderson was in some ways relieved by his certainty, but still puzzled. He began to think the best way to make sure whether he'd indeed been a subject to illusion or not to invite the landlord to his room to smoke a cigar later on in the evening. Some photographs of English towns which he had with him formed a significantly good excuse. Her Christensen was flattered by the invitation and was willingly accepted it. 
about ten o'clock he was made he was to make his appearance. But for the Anderson that Anderson had some letters to write, a time for the purpose of writing them. You must brush to himself by confessing it. He could not deny it that it was a fact. He was becoming quite nervous about the question of the existence of number thirteen, so much so that he approached his room by the way of number eleven, in order that he might not be obliged to pass the door or the place where the door ought to be. He looked quickly and suspiciously about the room where he entered it, but there was nothing beyond that indefinable air of something of being smaller than usual to warrant any misgivings. There was no question of the presence or absence of his portraiture not tonight. He himself emptied it in its contents and lodged it under his bed. With a certain effort he dismayed the fault of number thirteen from his mind and sat down to his writing. His neighbours had quite enough. Occasionally a door opened in the passage. A pair of boots were thrown out. Or Bagman walked past, humming to himself, and outside from time to time, a cart thundered over the architious cobblestones, or a quick step hurled, hurried among the flags, along the flags. Anderson finished his letters, ordered in whiskey and soda, then went to the window and studied the dead wall opposite the shadows upon it. As far as he could remember, number 13 had been occupied by a lawyer, a standard man, who said little at meals, being generally engaged in studying a small bundle of papers inside his plate, beside his plate. Apparently, however, he was a habit of giving vent to his animal spirits when alone. Why else should he be dancing? A shadow from next room evidently showed that he was. Again and again his thin form crossed the window, his arms waved, a gaunt leg, was kicked up with surprising agility. He seemed to be barefooted on the floor, might as well laid, for no sound betrayed his movements. Sick of all hair and the Jensen, dancing at ten o'clock at night in the hotel bedroom, seemed a fretting subject of a historical painting in grand style. And then his faults, like those of Emily, the mysteries of Upper Aldulopo, Tofalopo, began to range themselves into the following lines. When I returned to my hotel at ten o'clock p.m., the waiters think I am unwell. I do not care for them. But when I unlocked my chamber door, I put my boots outside, I danced upon the floor, and even if my neighbours swore, I go on dancing all the more, for I am acquainted with the law, and in spite of all all your their jaw, their protests I deride. Had not the landlord at the moment not at the door, it is probable that quite a long poem might have been laid before the reader to judge from his look of surprise when he found himself in the room her courtesan was struck, as Anderson had been, by something unusual in its aspect. But not he made no remark. Anderson's photographs interested him mightily and formed the text of many alphabetical discourses. Not quite clear how the conversation could have been diverted into the desired channel of number 13, but had not the lawyer at the moment begun to sing, to sing in a manner which left, leave no doubt in England's mind, he was even steadily drunk or raving mad, it was a high, thin voice 
they heard. It seemed uh, dry, as if it belonged disuse. Or words, a tune was no question. It went sailing up to surprising height, and was carried down with despairing moan, as winter wind and hollow chimney, an organ with wind falls suddenly. It is really horrible sound. Anson felt he had been alone. You might have fled for refuge, and sighted to some neighbour, Bagroom's room, man's room. And Andrew sat open-minded, open-mouthed. I don't understand it, he said, at last wiping his forehead. It is dreadful. I have heard it once before, but I made, I made it, made sure it was a cat. Is he bad? said Anderson. It must, he must be. And that's, and that's, well, what a sad thing. Such a good customer too. He so chip, so festival in his business. So that what I hear, a young family to bring up. Just then came an impatient knock at the door. A knocker entered without waiting to be asked. His lawyer, disreputable, a very rough head, very wrong, rough head, and very angry to be looked. He looked. I beg your pardon, he said. I should be much obliged. I would kindly dissent. Here he stopped, for he certainly had neither of the persons before him was responsible for his servants. After a moment's lull, it sweltered forth again, more worldly than before. For what is the name of heaven? Does it mean? broke out the lawyer. Where is it? Who is it? Am I going out of my mind? Surely, Herr Johnson. It comes from your room next door. Is there a cat or something stuck in the chimney? That was best that occurred to Anderson to say. He realised its fertility as he spoke it. That something was better than to stand and listen to the horrible voice. And look at the broad white face of the landlord, all perspiring, cribbing, as he clutched the arms of his chair. Impossible, said the lawyer. Impossible. There is no chimney. I came here before. It convinced his noise was coming on here. He was certainly in the next room to mine. What was the next door? But where? Was there no door between yours and mine? Said Anderson eagerly. No, sir, said Hackerson, rather sharply. Not, at least, not all this morning. Ah, said Anderson, nor tonight. I'm not sure, said the lawyer, with some hesitation. Suddenly the crying or singing voice in the next room died away. The singer was heard, seemingly to laugh to himself a crooning manner. Three men actually shivered at the sound. There was there, there was silence. Come, said the lawyer. What do you think, Herr Crudson? What does this mean? Good heavens, said Crudson. How should I tell? I know more, no more than you, gentlemen. I pray I shall never hear such a noise again. So do I, said Herr Johnson, and added something under his breath. Anderson thought it sounded like the last words, Palaster, Celeste, Omnius Spurious Lettermint, Donamin, but he could not be sure. But we must go do something, said Anderson. The three of us shall we go investigate into the next room. Is But is that Herr Johnson's room? Well, the landlord, it is no use. He has come from he, them himself. I'm not so sure, said Johnson. I think this gentleman is right. You must go and see. The only weapons of defence 
that could be mustered on the spot were a stick and umbrella. The expedition went out into the passage, not without cravings. There was a deadly quiet outside, but a light shone from under the next door. Anderson and Jensen approached it. A latter turned the handle and gave a sudden vigorous push. No use, the door stood fast. Herr Kenderson, said Jensen, will you go and fetch the strongest servant you have in the place? We must see this through. The landlord nodded and hurried off, glad to go outside for the scene of action. Jensen and Anderson remained outside looking at the door. It is number 13, you see, said the latter. Yes, there is. There is your door, and there is mine, said Jensen. My room has three windows in the daytime, said Anderson, with difficulty suppressing a nervous laugh. Why, George, so is mine, said the lawyer. Turning and looking at Anderson, his back was now to the door. In a moment, the door opened. An arm came out and clawed at his shoulder. He was clad in ragged yellow linen and bare skin, where it could be seen, had long grey hair upon it. Anderson could, was just in time for Jensen out of his reach, with a cry of disgust and fright, when the door shut again, and a low laugh was heard. <coughs> Jensen had seen nothing, but when Anderson hurriedly told him what a risk he had to, had run, he fell into a great state of agitation, and suggest they should retire from the enterprise and lock themselves up in one or other of their rooms. However, while he was developing his plan, the landlord had two able-bodied men arrive on the scene, all looking rather serious and alarmed. Jensen met them with a torrent of description and explanation, which did not all tend to encourage them for the fray. The men dropped the crowbars they had brought and said flatly they were not going to risk their throats in that devil's den. And then Lord had misery and was misery nervous and undecided, conscious that if the dangers not faced, his hotel was ruined, very loath to face it himself. Lucky Anson hit upon the way of rallying the demoralized false. Is this, he said, the Danish courage I heard so much of? Isn't a German in there? If it was, he was, he were, uh, we are five to one. The two servants and Jensen were stung into action by this and made a dash to, at the door. Stop, said Anson, don't lose your heads. You stay out here with your light, landlord, and two of your men break in the door and don't go in when it gives way. The men nodded, and the younger stepped forward, raised his crowbar, and dealt a tremendous blow on the upper panel. The result was not the least that any of them had appreciated. There was no cracking or rending of wood, only a dull sound as a solid wall had been struck. Then the man dropped his tool with a shout, again rubbing his elbow. His cry drew their eyes upon him. For a moment, and as I looked at the door again, it was gone. A pastor... Wool and the passage stared him in the face with a considerable gash in, in it where the crowbar had struck it. Number thirteen had passed out of existence. For a brief space they stood perfectly still, gazing at the blank wall. Any an earlier cock in the yard beneath was heard to crow, 
as Anderson glanced in the direction of the sound. He saw through the window at the end of the log passage that eastern sky was paling into the dawn. Perhaps, said the landlord, with hesitation, your gen- you gentlemen would like another room for tonight, a double-bedded one. Either Jensen or Anderson were averse to the suggestion. They felt inclined to hunt in couples after their last late, their late experience. It is found convenient. Each of them wanted, went to his room to collect the articles he wanted for the night. The other should go with him and hold the candle. He noticed that the number of 12 and 14 had three windows. Next morning the same party resembled in room 12. The landlord was actually anxious to avoid engaging outside help. Yet it was imperative that mystery attaching to the part of the house should be cleaned up. According to the two servants been induced to take upon the venture of carpenters, the furniture was cleared away at the cost of good many irreparably damaged planks apportioned the floor were taken up by which lay nearest to number 14. You naturally suppose that a skeleton, say that of Mag Nicholas Frickleton, was discovered, but that that was not so. What they did find lying between the beams which supported the flooring was a small copper box. It was neatly folded velvet document, which about twenty lines of writing, both Anderson and Jensen, who proved to be something of a pallographer, was much excited by this discovery, which promised to fold the key to the extraordinary phenomena. I possess a copy of the astrological work, which I, which I have never read. It is, it has, by way, a full, full French piece, a woodcut by Hans Stenabad Banham, representing a number of sages seated around the table. This detail must enable connoisseurs to identify the book. I cannot myself recollect his title. It is not at this moment within reach, but the fly lies on it are covered with writing, and during the ten years in which I had owned the volume, I have not been able to determine which way up this writing ought to be read, much less in what language it is. Not dissimilar was the position of Anderson, Jensen, after they protracted his examination, to which they submitted a document in the copper box. After two days' contemplation of it, Jensen, who was a bolder spirit of two, hastened, hazarded the conjecture the language either Latin or Old Danish. Anderson ventured not under, upon those some premises that was very willing to surrender the box and parchment to the historical society of Oberg to be placed in their museum. I had the whole story with him a few months later. We sat in a wood near us up cellar after a visit to a library there, where we, or rather I, had laughed over the contract by which Daniel Selvanenius, in later life professor Hebrew, at Kuddenberg, sold himself to Satan. Anderson was not really amused. Young idiot, he said, nearly meaning Sadamanius, was not only an undergraduate, but when he committed that indiscretion, how do we know what company 
he was courting. And when I suggested the usual consider- considerations, he only grunted. That same afternoon he told me that what you read, but he refused to draw any references from it, and to absent any that I drew 